0: Hi and welcome to the Palliators Podcast. I'm your host, Fellowship Trained Hospice and Palliative Medicine Physician, Dr. Tara Katine. This podcast is for healthcare professionals who want to become more comfortable and more confident in caring for their chronically ill and terminally ill patients. With the help of the physicians who trained with me, we hope to provide education and to promote palliative care one podcast at a time. We're so glad to have you here. Hello everybody. Hope your holiday season was fun and satisfying. My holidays were really good this year. It was nice to have a little time off from work and try my hand at cooking for my children and actually wrap gifts instead of using gift bags for a change. So welcome back and Happy New Year. When preparing for this podcast, I had different images going through my head of my family particularly my female family members, but also some of the males. Let me start by telling you the story of one of my grandmothers that I've been thinking about. When I was younger, I remember a time when she was about, oh, 87-ish. Someone had asked her age, and she lied and said she was 82. I had to laugh because, really, when you're 87... You're going to lie for a measly five years? If you're going to lie about your age, lie big. And when you make it to your 80s, do people really pay attention to where in the 80s your age actually falls? Well, obviously getting older and not revealing her true age were important to her. When my mother was on her deathbed and and couldn't really interact anymore other than to moan when she was in pain, my father mistakenly said her birth year was 10 years older than it really was, and he did that in front of my mother. Everyone in the room was stunned and broke out in laughter when my mother practically sat up in bed and very clearly corrected him. When my dad was hospitalized for heart failure, the health care team reflected that my father, who was in his early 80s at the time, had lived a long and full life, and they did this as a way to justify moving him to a comfort care pathway. When my 75-year-old, highly functioning aunt moved to another town to be closer to her children, she had to find a new doctor. At that very first visit, she asked her doctor about scheduling a mammogram. Her new doctor responded with, Why? You've got to die of something. I guess my point here is that age in our culture is important. In spite of the fact that 50 is the new 30 and 60 is the new 40 and I guess 30 is the new 10. Don't you remember cultures that revere the elderly? the ones who have life lessons and experiences to share so that others can learn and benefit from those experiences so as to repeat the good and not repeat the bad. Anyway, I've, I've started to realize that ageism is alive and well. It's a funny thing how there can be a bias against the very group that we will most likely be joining one day. That is if all goes well. I would hate for someone to judge me only on my age. Oh, really, I don't want to be judged at all. But please, there's more to me than just my age and how I look. No one wants to be defined solely by their age. Most likely, one day, I'm going to be old and probably look old. I'm going to be one of those old ladies you see at the grocery store or, God forbid, at the mall. I don't want anyone to refer to me as cute or to say that I look good for my age. Why can't people just say, you look good? Stop there. Shoot, I'm going to want to look good for a 22-year-old, even if I'm 87. Thanks, Grandma. Well, I think I've gone off on a diatribe. Let me get back to the educational portion of this podcast. So, ageism. Here we go. In case you're not familiar with the term, ageism is prejudice, stereotyping, or discrimination against people based on age, in this case, older age. This term was coined by gerontologist Dr. Robert Butler in the 1960s. He was a Pulitzer Prize winning author and was the founding director of the National Institute on Aging he felt that older folks had valuable contributions to make to society. While most of what I encountered in my preparation for this podcast was firmly in opposition of ageism, I did come across the writings of a British physician who seemed to be firmly on the side of rationing health care for some patients and was firmly on the side of advocating for ageism as one determinant in rationing health care. This was Dr. A.B. Shaw of the Bradford Royal Infirmary in West Yorkshire. One of his papers was called In Defense of Ageism. It was published in the Journal of Medical Ethics in 1994. He started by quoting the British Medical Association that said, No patient should be denied medical diagnosis and treatment just because of age. Dr. Shaw, however, made a case for rationing health care to the older patients in favor of providing care for younger patients. He said the case for it was both moral and economic. He described how ageism was already flourishing in British hospitals. He did say, though, that biologic age is not the same as chronologic age. He gave practical advice to rationing health care, and he ended with saying that older people have enjoyed more life and have less life left to enjoy. He said that ageism flourishes in secret and that open discussion would make its application more just. While I agree that ageism may flourish in secret, I truly do not agree with the practice of it. Although Dr. Shaw referred to it as moral and a good economic strategy, there are plenty of research studies that indicate the contrary. And there's been a remarkable amount of research about ageism. I found the works of Becca Levy, who has been one of the researchers leading the way in this arena for many years now. The World Health Organization has called upon her work to help address ageism globally. She and her colleagues have found that in the United States, the one-year cost of ageism in and of itself is 63 billion dollars they also found that there were over 17 million healthcare cases related to eight medical conditions that were due to ageism ageism shows up in healthcare both overtly and subtly when we tell patients they should not or will not have a procedure exclusively because of their age or when we tell our patients the cause of their problem is their old age, or when we use baby talk to talk to our older patients, these actions are ageist. You know, there are studies that show that when we talk to elderly as though they are infants or talk to them in a patronizing way, they score worse on cognitive testing than their peers who are treated like adults. Who knew our power? How we treat people and how we empathize with them means a lot. Also, it's been shown that we can internalize our own negative beliefs about aging for ourselves. I think I'm trying to say that older people can be ageist towards themselves, and that too can create negative outcomes for their health and well-being. A recent article in The Lancet revealed that in England, in older adults, perceived age discrimination was associated with poorer self-rated health and with the risk of serious health problems. It underscored the importance of overcoming age-related discrimination and the benefits which included improved mental health and well-being, maintenance of physical health, and prevention of disease in older adults this article called for effective interventions at the population level to combat the stigma associated with aging and to combat ageism. They offered a strategy to this that included a 2 pronged approach to both reduce discriminatory behavior across the population and to reduce the effects of discrimination on health and well-being among older people by teaching them strategies to care for themselves. They also called for public awareness and education on how ageism can affect health. In some of Dr. Becca Levy's earlier studies, she and her colleagues studied interventions to reduce the negative perceptions of older people. Implementing interventions that affect attitudes towards aging can help our patients and ultimately help us. I was reading an interview with Dr. Louise Aronson, She's a geriatrician at UCSF. She authored a book called Elderhood. She commented on the evolving healthcare culture that may improve ageism in medicine. Instead of denying the older population surgical procedures, physicians are considering how to be successful in meeting the patient's needs, how to fend off potential problems like delirium before it happens. Her youngest patient was 62, and her oldest patient was 102 at the time of the interview. She described that she cares for these patients using what she calls the five P's. Let's go through them. The first P is for person, the whole person, not the disease as the number one concern. The next P is prevention. She said that there's evidence that you can increase strength, and reduce frailty of people through the age of 100. She said that most providers don't routinely prescribe exercise, but she does, because the less fit you are, the better the benefits are from even low levels of exercise. The third P is purpose. What are their values and goals? What creates fulfillment? What do you want to do that you're not doing anymore? The fourth P is priorities, so they can plan for the future and possibly create advanced directives. The fifth and final P is perspective. This P is about how people see themselves aging and adapting where it's needed. This is figuring out how to continue to engage in what's meaningful. This may mean learning new skills or making changes in their environment. Her five Ps remind me a lot of what we do in our conversations in palliative care. I love the old anecdote that she shared. It went like this. A 97-year-old man goes to the doctor with left knee pain. The doctor finds nothing wrong on exam and tells the patient, You know, that knee is 97. What do you expect? The patient replies, well, my right knee's 97, too, and it doesn't hurt at all. There you have it. Ageism at the doctor's office. Minimizing or dismissing the older patient's issues just because that patient is old. You know, I've even had patients tell me their problems were from old age. Patients think that they feel bad because they're old, and so they'll avoid seeking treatment then they may end up with a serious medical problem down the line. I truly try not to attribute anything to old age for that very reason. The coronavirus pandemic has probably made everything worse. You know, younger people often think that old people are the only ones who get COVID and they don't have to worry. The nursing home deaths are not being reported as much as they were in the beginning of the pandemic. And these things make it easier for some people to see the pandemic as less serious and less catastrophic. As our population ages, the opportunities for ageism increases. About 30% of the United States population is older than 55. It's time to start including those of older age in research studies more often. Older people are not usually admitted to those studies. How will we know the proper way to care for the elderly if the studies don't include them? Usually, the goal in health care is to help people continue to live as long as they can. You know, I know that may sound strange coming from a hospice and palliative medicine physician, but that's usually the first priority. If stereotypes and discrimination have been addressed along the way, our patients will be entering old age meaningfully. of all physicians are 55 or older. Specialists, on average, are older than primary care docs. We need to consider how we see our patients, how they see us, and how we see ourselves. We should educate ourselves and be mindful of what our patients are going through and what they're adjusting to. We must change our perceptions of what old age means and the stereotypes along with them. We are individuals for whom age is a solitary part of who we are. It does not define us. Now, for the reflection, it comes from the late Dr. Robert N. Butler, who coined the word ageism. Prejudice against age is a prejudice against everyone we all chance to become its ultimate victims as longevity increases. And that's it for today, y'all. Thanks for listening. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please visit our website, thepalliators.com, and send us messages if you have suggestions. You'll find the references and reflections from our podcast in the show notes on our website, too. If you enjoy our podcast, please give us a good rating and review in your podcast app. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, bye for now.